to be able to stand before you this morning and uh, just approach God's Word together as a congregation and just explore some truth in Acts chapter 2, 42 through 47. So if you want to turn with me, that's what we're going to be uh, spending our time this morning. It's Acts chapter 2, verses 42 through 47. Now, um, I'm just going to be kind of transparent a little bit. I think Caleb, me and him talked about this before. Um, before I came here, my practice was much like Caleb's to uh, preach through a book of the Bible verse by verse. And so uh, when somebody comes to me and says, you, you get to preach and you get to take this gigantic book of God's word to his people and determine one sermon. It's kind of, of a daunting task for me sometimes. Uh, but this morning, uh, I felt as if God was wanting us to approach this scripture in Acts. Um, and the reason why I think this could be the case, and I really didn't realize this until really after I had begun to write out my sermon and add the introduction later, and it's very fitting of a sermon, um, and it's God's work, not mine, but very fitting of a sermon for us to uh, be looking at this morning, because if you didn't realize it, but as we've said this morning, we're coming off of the book of John for the last year and a half give or take a few months there, um, and really saw this life and ministry of Christ. And then there's this moment that you didn't really see in John, but you see in the other Gospels of Christ ascending back into heaven. And there's this moment of just waiting. And then this just explosion happens and God works in the means of his people. And that's what we're going to be looking at this morning is that moment after the Holy Spirit falls And after the Holy Spirit falls, God uses His disciples, His apostles, to do what we would refer to as the beginning of the Christian church. And so as we approach that this morning, we're going to really be looking at this idea of how the disciples really fulfilled the the calling on their life, which was simply to go therefore and make disciples. And why that is so significant is that's the same calling on each and every one of our lives here. And so if you would, let's look at Acts chapter 2. 42 through 47. It says, And they devoted themselves to the apostles' teachings and the fellowship of the breaking of the bread and the prayers. And all came upon every soul, and many wonders and signs were being done through the apostles. And all who believed were together and had all things in common. And they were selling their possessions and belongings, distributing the proceeds to all as any had a need. And day by day, attending the temple together and breaking bread in their homes, they received their food with glad and generous hearts, praising God and having favor with all people. And the Lord added to their numbers day by day those who were being saved. Let's pray. Dear Heavenly Father, this is your word, and we trust it to be true and relevant and enough for us this morning. 
So God, take me, hide me behind it, and let the explanation of your scripture be exactly as you would have it. God, be with our hearts as we consume it and take it in and apply it to our lives. God, that when we leave here, just like our desire is each week, that when we leave here, God, we understand just a little bit more about you, but not in an arrogant way that puffs us up with knowledge, but in a way in which we're going to leave here and apply it and live out the truths. We pray this in your son's holy name. Amen. In just a moment, we're going to be looking at what I'm about to explain to you because these are the points that we're going to be looking at in Acts chapter 2. But really, what I want us to see in this text is simply that God uses ordinary means of discipleship. And these means are His Word, Christian community, and prayer. And then the way He uses these means is to do some extraordinary things, which is what we refer to as the work of salvation. And so as we look at Acts, what we're going to be looking at this word ordinary. I'm going to use that word a lot. Now, this is an interesting word to me because ordinary is so relative to the individual using it. For example, if I said, oh, it was just an ordinary day. Now, for you, that may look like something different than it is for me. When I say it's an ordinary day or an ordinary week, maybe it looks like that I worked Monday through Saturday, just a few hours each day, and that I did some schoolwork and church work that I uh, helped get the kids ready for school and took care of them before bedtime, that I went on some kind of, of a date with my wife during that week, that I, I attended church on Sunday and Wednesday, that we had college Bible study that Thursday, that I met with some student in the youth ministry. Regardless of, the reality is this idea of ordinary is so relative to the individual. Because when you say an ordinary week, it may look much different than my ordinary week. Especially if you have a, a job that is bring, taking you to different places and different areas of life. So this morning, as we look at this term ordinary, you, you may not really understand what I mean by that, but it's really just this everyday thing of life. And why that is so significant and why it's so relevant for this morning's text is that we, we don't have to seek anything extraordinary or extravagant to be a devote follower of Christ or a, even a relevant church, we simply commit and rest in the ordinary means of discipleship. And so as we explore that this morning, before we even get into those three things, I really want to just understand a little bit about where we are in the book of Acts. Now earlier I did say that this was really the foundation of the Christian church, and this is really the start of, of it, and how the disciples were living out the command in which Christ called them to go therefore and make disciples. But specifically up until this point in Acts, what we've seen is this promise of a Holy Spirit. Then we see the Holy Spirit, uh, Jesus ascending back into heaven. It's that, ma- that amazing moment in which the disciples were looking up and see Him sit on the right hand of the Father. And then we see this replacement of a disciple. And then there's this one very most important moment is the falling of the Holy Spirit. And after that, Peter stands up and he preaches this sermon. And I, one day I would love to just preach and teach through that sermon because it is a, a wonderful um, just explanation of the Old Testament and how God was working through His people. But as I looked through the first few chapters of Acts, the most important verse for our context this morning is verse 41. I didn't read it, but you can look at it with me. It says, And so those who received His word were baptized. And there were added that day about 3,000 souls. 
That seems amazing to us because if 3,000 individuals come to Christ in salvation today, which they're not here, but if they did, then we wouldn't know what to do. We wouldn't know how to disciple them, how to pour into their lives. And I don't think it was much different for the disciples in this moment. But what's so significant about that is in this first verse in 42, that what we're going to look at, it says this, and they, and they. Now that's going to be so significant because Andy and they is talking about these 3,000 souls that have come to Christ in salvation prior to this dedication to these three areas of life. So these new believers, these newly baptized individuals are going to explore the things that we're going to talk about this morning. These are what they're implementing so that they could too be disciples of Jesus. See, these were ordinary things in which the disciples did, and this became their way of life, these 3,000 souls. But what I don't want us to miss is that these 3,000 souls were baptized into a church. They were baptized into the church of Christ. They were baptized into a fellowship of believers. That is abundantly clear through these set of scriptures. And what I want to be clear about that is that as an individual, when you came to Christ in salvation, when you realized that God was perfect and holy, that you were sinful and rejected and rebelled against Him, and you turned away from your sins and turned to Christ and His redemption that He's bought for us on the cross of Calvary, when you were saved and if you're not, if you're here and you're not a believer and you feel God is calling you to that this morning, then you're not saved as an individual on an island. You're saved as an individual to a greater church. And it takes the church to disciple you. And so as we look at these ordinary means, we're going to be looking at ordinary means of discipleship as well as what it means to be an ordinary church. And ordinary is not a bad thing this morning. Ordinary is the way in which God saves souls. So nonetheless, let's look at verse 42. Says, and they devoted, once again, this, these 3,000 individuals that have come to Christ in salvation and were being baptized, devoted. Now, we're going to come to that word every time we look at a principle here, but they devoted, meaning they committed to, that they made a priority of, that they devoted themselves. The first thing we see that they devoted themselves to is the teaching, the apostles' teaching. Now, what's so, that's so significant about that is that this is something that we have today. This is something that, that, that you may be thinking that wouldn't it be such an amazing to sit under Peter or John? Wouldn't it be so amazing to sit under one of those brothers and allow them to just tell us what Christ had taught and to, to just pour into their lives in his three years of ministry? But in all reality, we have God's word. And God's word is exactly the apostles' teachings. And so this morning, what we're going to be looking at this, though it says this idea of apostles' teaching, it's really talking about God's word. And so they're devoting themselves to the teaching of God's Word. Now why that is so, so significant for us this morning is that when you look through these set of Scriptures, you don't really see implicitly how they're doing this. But rather, it's this DNA of their church. It's the DNA of the believers in every area of their life. See, when you look at verses 42, it says they devoted themselves. That's what we see now. But then when you look at verse 46 and 47, it says that they were attending temples that they were breaking bread in their homes and they were praising God, that this idea of devoting themselves to God's Word was something that was in the midst of everything that they did as believers in the church. 
This is the same thing it must be in our lives today. Is God's Word must it be central to every area of our life. If it be the relationships that we have, it be the, the, the friendships that we have, it be our time at church. See, in all reality, there's many ways that this is so relevant to us. First and foremost, it's the time that we as individuals take in God's Word regularly. That we would make it a priority. That we would, as individuals, either wake up early or stay up later to make sure that God's Word is being impactful on our lives. Maybe if you're the individual like myself, where you drive a lot or you're able to listen things to a lot, that you have someone read the Word of God to you. That you plan your time in God's Word. I know for some that just seems like there's a a loss of just joy and pleasure in it, but in all reality, the things that we make important in our life are gets planned. Ball practice, work, dates with our spouses, anything that we're going to do on the regular basis of our lives is going to be planned in our everyday routine. God's Word must not be any different than that. But the reality is you're not going to be perfect. You're not going to pick up God's Word daily. You're not going to spend an hour in it all every day, all day. Every time you come to God's Word, you're not going to walk away uplifted and joyful. In all reality, that doesn't matter. What matters more than anything is that you're approaching God's Word and allowing His Spirit to teach you. And that when you fail in this, you know that there's a God that has grace that is abundantly and is more than you could ever imagine. But don't let our fallings Don't let our issues be an excuse, but rather let us commit. Let us devote ourselves. But also when we move past the individual area of our life, that we should commit to the preaching and the teaching of God's Word. The preaching of God's Word is something that we regularly do on Sunday mornings and Sunday nights as a church. It is something that is done week in and week out. And one of the beautiful things about uh, verse-by-verse expository preaching is that you're getting the whole counsel of God's Word. When Caleb preaches through Ruth here in a few weeks and, and walks through this, guess what? When he gets to that hard text and that hard scripture that he may want to avoid as a pastor, he can't because he's preaching verse by verse through it. So he has to approach it. He has to tackle that. That's the beautiful thing about committing to the preaching of God's word. And in a church like this, you're getting the whole counsel of his word, but also the teaching of his word that we would make the primary times as a church when we do this is Sunday morning. That we would make Sunday school a priority. That this would be something that we would seek out and attend. That we would set the clothes out early uh, the night before so that we can get the kids to church on time. That we would do whatever it takes, fill up the gas, set the timer on the coffee pot, to do whatever it takes to make sure that we make Sunday school a priority. But also... For those that maybe do that, there's also going to be a time in just a few weeks where we bring our Sunday night time together in God's Word back. And the question that I would have is, are you going to devote to that? Are you going to devote to God's teaching in that hour? So in all reality, what we see is that being committed to God's Word is more than just reading your Bible daily. It is also more than taking notes while the pastor is preaching. It's a commitment to God's Word. It's not only understanding the text, but applying it to our everyday lives. See, these believers, these early church, they committed and they devoted themselves to the teaching of the apostles, which is the teaching of God. We are no different. If we're going to be a vibrant church that is seeking to save lost souls, then we must first commit to the teaching of God's Word as individuals and as a body of believers.
The second thing that we're going to see is an ordinary means of discipleship is Christian community. This is such an amazing thing in the book of Acts. In these few verses, this is just an amazing principle that we find in this text. But we're going to look at 44 through 46 to really explore this this morning. So if you would look at that with me. 44 says, And all who believed were together and had all things in common. They were selling their possessions and belongings and distributing the proceeds to all as any had need. And day by day, attending the temple together, breaking bread in their homes, and they received their food with glad and generous hearts, praising God. Now, much like the idea of the preaching of God's word and the devoting to the teaching of the apostles, this idea of praising God was something they were doing in all areas of life. It was a way in which they lived. It wasn't just something they did 30 minutes before the preaching time. It wasn't something they did just um, really in the small group time. They were praising God throughout all areas of life. And one of the major, and one of the major ways they did that is what we see in this text is through the fellowship and the breaking of bread. Now, so often when we approach this idea of breaking of bread, we may immediately think of communion. As we explore that, we're going to see that's not necessarily what's going on here, though the early church did make that a priority as well. But it's not what this text is talking about. First and foremost, though, we see in verse 44, it says, having all things in common. Now, does this mean that when these individuals come to Christ, that they magically became the same personality types and that they had the same sports team that they enjoyed? They still like the same events, had the same hobbies. Is this what that text means? By no means. It means that the one thing that mattered more than anything else, that is what they had in common. So therefore, they had all things in common, and that is Christ. This doesn't mean that they had the same life cycles or they had the same hobbies or the children were the same stage of life, but rather the thing that brought them together was greater than anything else. It also means that they were committed to one another in all areas of life. In the difficult and hard moments, in the moments of great sadness or with wonderful rejoicing, that they were together in these moments, coming and pulling together, focusing on what mattered most, and that is Christ. But we also see in this idea of fellowship, says that they were selling their possessions and distributing as any had need. Now, did the early church sell everything that they have and live in the commune and uh, live separate from the world? Are we as individuals called to sell our homes, our vehicles, and everything that we have and just bring it to the church and trust and allow the church to do whatever they see fit to go with it? Not No, that's not what's going on here. What's going on here is that these believers, that they had all things in common, they couldn't live in a life of luxury knowing that their brother beside them was in dire need in difficult circumstances. They were simply just taking care of one another and... I really just want to praise our church in this. Is This is something you do greatly. That when you know of a need in your brother or sister's life, that you take care of that in some capacity or another. And that's exactly what this early church is simply doing. It's just taking care of one another. Knowing that life is hard and difficult and loving each other through it. The second thing, and I said we would get to it, is this breaking of bread. That they're breaking breads in homes. If I'm going to be honest, this is one of the most difficult things to do in Scripture for many, but also one of the most rewarding things that you can do in your life. It is simply having your fellow church members over at your house 
and having a meal with him. See, this is what I mean by ordinary things of discipleship. This is simply breaking bread together, having a meal together, rubbing elbows together. Because when you have a meal with somebody, there's things in a conversation that comes out that would never come out if you were standing in the foyer after church or during the time in which we shake hands at our Sunday services. The reality is there is nothing more mundane than having dinner together. But it is a wonderful means in which God deepens our relationships with one another and allows us to pour into each other. I'm going to get to this again in a second, but I would really encourage you is invite somebody over for dinner one day. It's so simple. Invite somebody for dinner one day. That's not your friend. That's not the person you see every week in your home or in their home. That, that member of the church that you don't know that well, that one that you may not even remember their name. Invite them to your home to have dinner with them. See, when we look at this idea of fellowship and breaking of bread together, the first application that really comes to my mind is that to be a part of church more than Sunday morning. See, the reality is this does not happen in this setting. Not completely. Not like it ought to. But also something that I've already said you do so greatly, but help your brothers and sisters in Christ in times of need. If it's physical, then by all means do that. But also if it's emotional or it's just mental and it's just hard, help them. Come alongside them. But for that to really accomplish, and this is what I have such difficulty with, is drop your pride and allow others to help you in difficult times. Let your needs be known to the church. The last two things we really see in this is something that we really see Paul fleshes out in his letters. But older men and women of the faith, not older by age, but older men and women of the faith, pour into somebody younger. Really come alongside them, invite them into your home, invite them into a time of biblical fellowship and teach them what it means to be a believer and what it means to be a dedicated follower of Christ. Younger men and women of the faith, seek out someone that is older in the faith to come alongside you and aid you in that. Begin to pray that God would provide a man or a woman that would pour into your life. So the reality is, this is what the church should look like. Because if we want to take a step back, many of us, we don't have fathers or mothers that are extremely dedicated to the faith that can really pour into our lives in that kind of a relationship. Seek out your father, seek out your mother in the faith, seek out your son, seek out your daughter in the faith. I've already said it, but I want to echo it again. Invite somebody over for a meal. It is so simple. Even if it's just taking them to Umi's in Columbus and buying it for them. Invite somebody over. Go spend time with somebody in that capacity. See, Christian community is much more than having your friends over to watch the game. But it's also more than just a Bible study each time, uh, each and every time that your friends go over. Christian community goes beyond uh, commonalities or family structure. Christian community goes beyond pleasant exchanges during the fellowship portion of the worship service. It's sitting across the table from one another and just rubbing elbows and getting to know each other. The last means of ordinary discipleship we see is prayer. This one is much Similar to the first one, which is God's Word. We don't really see this explanation in this set of Scriptures. But when you read through the book of Acts, you see that they were devoted to prayer in almost every area of the church's life. Even before Peter begins to preach and the Holy Spirit falls, they're devoting themselves to prayer, and we see this revival come out. 
See, they were devoting to prayer during attending of the temples and breaking bread in their homes and praising God. See, this is a thing that we must practice. This isn't something that is just a very minute part of life. See, the purpose of prayer is not this magical um, convincing of God to do something for us or even to do something that is contrary to His sovereign plan. Rather, prayer is a commitment to prayer as a regular. It's because it's one of the ways in which God focuses our hearts and desires to be His. It's the way in which God rightly lines us up, His children, with the desires of the Father. Prayer is, God's not this magical genie in a bottle that you shake and you rub or you do whatever it may need to do to convince Him to save someone, convince Him to save your marriage, convince Him to do anything. Prayer is something that you do so that you can grow in your discipleship. It's not this magical moment where God fixes everything in your life. Rather, it's this moment where you come before a perfect and holy and sovereign God and say, I don't know what I'm doing. You do and do what you want to do and allow me to trust in you in that moment. See, the disciples devoted themselves to this. See, the purpose of prayer is not this magical time to convince God. See, the disciples were in a moment where it was good, but many of them would end up losing their life for the name of Christ. And they were able to do so because of these ordinary means of discipleship. And they were able to take 3,000 souls and lead them in discipleship of Christ through these ordinary means. See, the reality is simple. God desires to use what we might consider ordinary means to make us into His disciples. For He can take something as ordinary as God's Word, Christian community, and prayer and transform your life in some amazing and miraculous ways. That's the last thing we're going to see this morning is that God uses these ordinary means to do some extraordinary work of salvation. Look at the end of 47 with me. Having favor with all people, and the Lord added to their numbers day by day who were being saved. Let's not look over this. Does this mean that the disciples in the early church had no problems with outsiders of the faith community. By no means. Not only 30 or 40 years later, we're going to see that Nero comes into the scene, as Caleb mentioned last week, and going to begin to throw Christians into the gladiator's pit to die for their faith. That they would be burned at the stake. That after this, that this perpetual persecution of believers is going to unfold. Even right after this happens, there's a guy that enters the scene named Saul that God transformed, and he is now known as Paul, and he is one that's an evangelist of the gospel that wrote 13 books of the New Testament. See, the reality is, the disciples wasn't living in a perfect world where everybody looked at them as good people. What this simply means is that the ones that knew them as individuals and as a church knew them as people that were loving and caring, and compassionate. Hear me, Christian. As one that has been forgiven of your sins, contrary to the judgment that you deserved, you should not be known as a a cheap tipper, a bad employee, an angry driver, that dad or that mom at the sporting event, a bad student or a neglectful parent. You have been marked with the gospel and we should live as we have. 
See, the reality is when people think of us as an individual, though we may not be perfect, they should think of Christ. That's what it means to have favor of the people. The last thing it says, and the Lord added to their numbers day by day, and they were being saved. God wasn't saving the people because His children, His believers, His disciples were doing these things. God's salvation of lost souls is not dependent upon our action. Rather, we see that they were devoting themselves to this and they got to witness the miraculous work of God. And the way in which He was accomplishing it is through the means of ordinary discipleship. See, the reality and why this is so significant for us today is we don't have to be that individual, that church, that is seeking something extraordinary. All we should be seeking is the ordinary things of discipleship, which is simply God's Word, community with one another in prayer. See, when we look at this section of Scripture in 47, first and foremost, let's be people that are known by our love, that we treat people well and we share the Gospel with them. But let's also trust that God is going to save His people through the means in which He has given us of discipleship. That God is going to save His people through us as we're focused upon Him through the community that He has placed us in, through the Word that He has given us, and through prayer. So we understand that God is the one that saves individuals. We can simply say that God uses ordinary churches and disciples that are committed to His Word, Christian community and prayer, and instruments of the Gospel. So this morning, as we've looked at Acts, what we've seen is that God's ordinary means of discipleship is simply His Word, Christian community, and prayer. But the amazing thing, yes, is that in this life of the disciples, we see that God added to them daily. Now, does this necessarily mean that every day somebody was getting saved? Very possible. Or does it mean that individuals were just coming to Christ on the regular basis? Very possible. Regardless of if you want to nail down one way or the other, regardless of the circumstances, what we see is that God was using His people to save lost souls. And that's the same God that desires to do it today. And the reality is He wants to do it through the simple and the ordinary means of discipleship. He wants to teach and grow us in that same way. So this morning, as individuals, let us not trust in extravagant or over-spiritual practices to make us feel closer or secure in our salvation. Rather, let us trust in the salvation that Jesus has brought for us, that He has bought for us, while we trust that God is going to sanctify us through His ordinary means of discipleship. Trust God. Commit to His Word. Commit to community and commit to prayer. And trust God that He's going to transform your life in it. As a church, let's not place worship service, programs, special events at a place that it ought not be. And I know it's a weird thing to hear your youth pastors say, Rather, let's place the ordinary means of discipleship as our priority in our lives, and let's simply trust that God will save those around us by placing them in our lives. I want to end by this. 42 and 47. And they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching, the fellowship, the breaking of the bread, and prayers. Skip to 47. Praising God and having favor with the heart of the people. And the Lord added to their numbers day by day those who were being saved. Spring Hill, will we be known as those that have devoted ourselves to God's Word, Christian fellowship, and prayer? 
And are we trusting that God will work through them to bring lost souls to Himself? Let's pray. Say